at ministry and music. We have started the book of Malachi. Uh, we began on uh, a holiday weekend, and so uh, some of you were not here for that particular uh, message. But we begin with Malachi chapter 1, which is foundational to the entire book as God finds fault with the priests for dishonoring his name. In Malachi chapter 1, uh, verses 6 and 7, it says this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts? O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? So the priests are called up short by God for their despising or belittling the name of God. And as we talked about this morning in Sunday school, God is very, very concerned about his name for it represents his person, his character, how God is viewed. So the, the priest said, how have we despised your name? And God said they had despised his name by offering sacrifices that were less than acceptable. Uh, they were bringing mangy animals, deformed animals, uh, to be sacrificed rather than animals without spotted blemish. God said, would you honor that? Would you bring that to your governor? Uh, of course they wouldn't. Uh, but for God, anything was good enough. Uh, it didn't have to be particularly valuable or significant. There were better things that they could use a animal without blemish for than giving it as an offering to the Lord. So they belittled, they, they uh, maligned God's name by not valuing the importance of worship and of sacrifice. And of course the ultimate sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the uh, most uh, worthy of sacrifices and one that was given at great cost. But not only did they bring unacceptable sacrifices, but they even complained about offering sacrifices at all. They said, what a weariness it is. Uh, what a, a drudgery. Uh, what a burden to be serving God. Rather than viewing it as a privilege, rather as viewing it as an honor, rather than taking delight in their responsibility as priests, they were saying that it was a hardship, it was a difficulty, they were weary, they were tired, uh, they didn't really want to be doing this, they're going through the motions. And God said it would be better if you shut the doors. It would be better if you didn't worship at all than to be offering this 
kind of worship, this unacceptable worship of God. So they had despised God's name. That brings us to Malachi chapter 2. And the theme is that God directly addresses the sins of the priests who have dishonored God's name. He laid the foundation by explaining how they had dishonored his name. Now, tonight we look at the consequences. What is the outcome of the priests failing to honor God's name? Well, first, God warns the priests against continuing in an unrepentant state for having dishonored God's name. Verse 2 of chapter 2, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. So here is a conditional statement. Here is a word of encouragement to repent, uh, to take this rebuke to heart and to bring about a transformation of mind, heart, and action. God says, but if you won't, if you refuse to take it to heart, if you refuse to consider this message, then what's going to happen next? Number two, there will be severe consequences if they do not repent. First, God will actively work against the priests. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says Lord of heart, says Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you. I am going to send the curse upon you. B, God will overthrow the work of the priests of pronouncing a blessing. Malachi 2, 2, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. A primary role of the priest was to pronounce a blessing upon the people. Numbers 6, 23, 24, and 25. Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. Now the priests were to be a blessing themselves to the people of Israel, as we will see. And their work was to be a blessing. And then as their work was brought to fruition, as the worship of God came to an end, they were to pronounce God's blessing upon the people. That blessing is given to us in Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to, the, to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. But God says, if you don't repent, I'm going to take that blessing and turn it into a curse. I'm going to do exactly opposite of what you are pronouncing upon the people. Rather than give you peace, I'm giving you hardship. I will give you war. I will give you unrest. I will bring difficulty to your life. To lift up the light of uh, God's countenance upon them, that's a, a beautiful Hebraic expression. And what it literally means is for God's face to shine with favor. Uh, also translated to smile upon. That God looks upon his people with favor and smiles. And his face radiates with approval, 
with satisfaction, with delight, that God would take delight in his people. But instead of God taking delight and smiling upon his people, God will find fault. God will frown. God will not accept. God will be displeased, regardless of what the priests say. For the priests don't have the power to bring it to pass. So God says, I will work against you. I will turn your curse into blessings. D, this has happened. Uh, uh, C, God has already begun his work against them. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says Lord of hosts, and I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them. Uh, God had already been working against the priests and the people. That was one of the reasons why in chapter 1, when God says that he had loved them, they asked the question, how have you loved us? Why are all these difficulties coming upon you, us if indeed you love us? This comes, of course, at a time when the children of Israel have come out of captivity. They have returned uh, to the, the promised land. Uh, but it's a difficult period of time in Israel's history. God is saying, I have been displeased. And now he's making it absolutely clear. And it's not just Malachi. It's Hosea. It's the other prophets uh, that have been sent unto the children of Israel. As I mentioned last week, Malachi is the last book in the Bible. And chronologically, it's the last group of messages in the Old Testament. There is no prophet that arises in Israel from the time of Malachi until you get to John the Baptist in the New Testament. There's 450 years of silence, 450 years of God's disapproval, 450 years of unrepentance on the part of the children of Israel. D, this has happened due to the priest's refusal to repent. At the end of verse 2, because you do not lay it to heart. Because I have warned you. I, I keep instructing you. I keep teaching you. I keep exhorting you. I keep rebuking you, but you dismiss it. You won't respond in repentance. E, the reprimand will extend to the priest's descendants. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. Now it's talking about the children of the priests. Because the priests do not repent, because they don't change, nor does their children. And if you remember, the priesthood is an inherited position. One was a priest as a result of being a descendant of Levi. If you're the tribe of Levi, you were a priest. And so the fathers didn't honor God, which resulted in the children not honoring God, which resulted in the grandchildren not honoring God. And this is the basis of the 450 years of Israel's uh, unrepentance in the relationship with God, because the consequences are going to be passed down to the future generations.
F. The future generations of the priests will be disgraced as a result of their unacceptable offerings. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Pretty graphic. But it's talking about how God is going to disgrace them. He is dissatisfied with their sacrifices. And rather than these sacrifices that are unacceptable, rather than taking away sin, they are simply going to bring disgrace. So much so that it was if God would be taking that dung and of these animals and smearing it on the face of uh, the priests. Obviously, it's not going to happen in a literal sense, but it's this aspect of bringing disgrace that um, the priests will not be honored as a result of their behaviors. And G, this action will ultimately lead to conviction. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand. Uh, God's purposes will be brought to pass. Number three, God is angered with the priests because they have dishonored God's name by corrupting his word. A, the priests are unlike their predecessor Levi, who faithfully honored God's name. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. This morning in Sunday school, I began to look at various covenants that exist in the scripture. I talked about the salt covenant, I talked about the shoe covenant, and I talked about the blood covenant. And God made various covenants with his people. This refers to a covenant that God made with Levi. And as I mentioned this morning, that covenants are twofold. They speak of the responsibilities that the one member of the covenant has to the other. This is what I will do for you. This is what you will do in return for me. So this covenant is summarized in verse 5. It's much more detailed than this, but this is the essence of the covenant. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. All right, that's what I'm going to give you. I will give you life and peace. And I gave them to him. All right, I was faithful in my discharge of the covenant. I said, I'll give you life and peace. I gave you life and peace because God keeps his end of the deal. <clears throat> it was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. So what did God want of Levi? That was to fear God. And it says he stood in awe of my name. He exalted my name, my character, my, my person. He took seriously his duty and responsibilities as a priest. I think one of the most difficult words to get our minds around in the word of God is this aspect of fearing God. What does it mean to fear God? There's no good one word or even sentence that can communicate accurately what is involved with with fearing God. Uh, some translate it as being in awe of God. Uh, some translate it as being, uh, having reverence towards God. Uh, some have respect for God. Um, 
as I say, to, 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 to try to sum it up in, in one little detail, it's tough. It's, it's all those things. Uh, I want you to think about an entity that maybe you were involved with an authority figure. And uh, you may have had respect, you may have had some awe, you may have had some fear. Um, for some, it's the police. You know, you're, you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you see a police car. Uh, what is your response to that? Does your heart go a little faster? Well, if you're doing 90 in a 35 mile per hour zone, it probably is, okay? Uh, and, and there's a sense in which you should fear because there are consequences of going 90 miles an hour in a uh, 35 mile an hour zone. Uh, but there might be a wholesome respect of which you, you look at that individual and you appreciate their service, you appreciate their sacrifice, you appreciate what, what they are doing. Uh, there, there might be a, a sense of, of uh, awe of wanting to emulate them, wanting to, to be like them, and wanting to be a, a policeman when you grow up kind of attitude. For some, it may be a principal in a high school, and you walk into their office and you feel a little funny walking into the principal's office. Uh, they have power, they have respect. You're, you're not used to being in their presence. And you, you may feel a little funny, okay? But you may have a good relationship with the principal. It may be the President of the United States. Imagine walking into the Oval Office. And uh, how would you uh, feel about that? Um, it may be if you have a good relationship, even your parents, you know? There was a sense in which I feared my father. Uh, I feared him in the, in the sense that uh, I didn't want to disappoint him. I uh, was afraid of disappointing him. Uh, I respected him. Uh, I wanted his approval more than anyone else's in an earthly sense. Uh, I appreciated his praise and uh, I quaked at his rebuke, okay? Uh, there was also a sense in which I really did fear my father for I knew there were consequences to action. Uh, my father, uh, was one that uh, had the admonition, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. Uh, and so uh, there was a sense. And uh, in this day and age of child abuse, etc., I say those things with, with guarded thought. But yet, in reality, there was, this, there was this sense that there were consequences to one's actions. Well, Levi feared God. They, he believed that God should be honored and glorified and also believe that there were consequences to, to disobedience. These priests neither respected God nor feared him in any sense of that word. They weren't concerned about honoring him. They weren't concerned about the way in which people viewed his reputation, nor were they afraid of the warnings. They lived in bliss as the priests were rebuked by, by the prophets, but they did not change. They, there, there was no fear. And there are a lot of times uh, Christians today that, that don't have any sense of a dread of living in sin. There's no sense that they think that God is going to do anything about that. Uh, and expect that, that God is going to bless me no matter what I do, no matter how I live, no matter what I say, no matter what my actions are, uh, God's always going to be in favor 
with me. Well, that was kind of the mindset of the day. Number one, Levi took seriously the covenant that God made with Levi in fulfilling his priestly duties. God would bless Levi. My covenant is with him, was one that, of life and peace, and I gave them to him. In turn, Levi would honor and fear God's name. And he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. He did it. Now, here are some practical ways. Number two, Levi taught the word of God accurately. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. What he said about me was true. What I condemned, he condemned. What I pronounced a blessing upon, he pronounced a blessing upon. Later it's going to be, woe unto those who call good evil and evil good, that change God's word. But Levi was faithful to the instruction. Secondly, Levi himself was obedient to the word of God. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. And the result was that people turned from their sins. The result was the people repented of their sins. Malachi 2.6, true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. He turned many from iniquity. Here again we see in the word of God the proper balance between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. On the one hand, we could say that no one is able to turn another person from iniquity. That requires the work of God. That requires his grace. That requires the working of the spirit of God. All of that is true. But God uses means. And one of the means that God uses in turning people from their sin is his word. In fact, it's the primary way that God works. He works through his word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Okay? God's word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Levi, because he was faithful to God's word, because he taught God's word, the result was that he was a true blessing to the people. He didn't just pronounce blessing, but actually achieved blessing because people repented. People heard the word, heard what God had said, and brought their lives in conformity to that word. B, the priests should stand and watch over God's truth. It is the role of the priest to guard or preserve God's truth. Malachi 2.7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. Okay? That, that the priest was to, to stand watch, to stand guard. All right? You can think of a, a military duty. Uh, and as you think of God's truth, the priest is seen as a sentinel walking back and forth, okay? Guarding it so that no one would usurp it, no one would steal it, no one would, would harm it. He was to be a protector of God's truth. So that his primary role was as he taught God's truth, was that, that he would do it in such a way that God's truth would be preserved, that it would not be changed, would not be altered, would not say that which wasn't true. 
The priest is to guard God's truth because the people will come to him to hear the truth. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. So it was the priest's responsibility to speak God's truth so that when people came to hear it, that's what they'd hear, they'd hear the truth. That's why Malachi is uh, centering on the priests because the priests were the most culpable. They were the most blameworthy. They were the most responsible. They were to be given God's truth. The people were to come to the priests to hear God's truth, okay? And the same is true of the preaching of the word today. Uh, we just went through uh, the book of 2 Timothy, which has its primary emphasis on preaching the word of God. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present you know, the word of God, that you would, I charge you before God and Lord Jesus Christ, preach the word, be diligent in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. So teach the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling God's truth. The preacher should preach the truth of God. People should come and come to hear the truth of the word of God. Uh, in our day, there's a lot of skepticism, and rightly so, because there's a lot of false teaching. But we read some things, I think, in the scriptures and put the wrong emphasis uh, on them. But we have to put the right emphasis. And, and one of them is the passage in the book of Acts that talks about the Bereans being more noble than the Thessalonians because they search the scriptures daily to see whether these things are true. That is not that the Bereans had a skepticism about Paul's preaching. In fact, it's just the opposite. The point was that when Paul preached things that they disagreed with, they didn't just dismiss them. When Paul said things that seemed to them to be unacceptable, they didn't just throw it off, but they took the time to study the word of God to see indeed whether or not the things that Paul was preaching were true. That's the right approach that we should take to hearing the word of God. That when we hear things and we say, well, I'm not so sure that's true, don't just immediately say, well, <laughs> I believe something different. Stop and say, well, I better look at the scriptures. I better see if indeed that is what the scriptures teach or not. That's the proper re relationship of the preacher to the word and the people to the preacher. But you got a problem if when the preacher preaches, he's not preaching the word. And that's what the priests were doing. They were failing to, pre to preach the word of God accurately. Three, the priest is to guard God's truth, and the people are to speak to be taught by the priest, for he is to be God's spokesman. 
For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. People should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The emphasis is that the priest is to give God's message to the people. Not the priest's message, not the culture's message, not the message that they want to hear, but the message that God has given. That's the sole duty in the preaching and teaching the word of God, that we are faithful to what God has said. See, God is angered at the priests, for they have failed to guard and preserve God's truth. The priests failed to preserve God's truth by their example. But you have turned aside from the way. So the priests were not acting in an honorable way, especially as they were offering these sacrifices, etc. The priests failed to preserve God's truth in their teaching. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. Now notice, earlier it said about Levi that he had turned many people from their iniquity. Here's the exact opposite. Rather than turning people from their iniquity, you have caused people to stumble. You have caused people to sin. You have caused people to act inappropriately. You have caused people to trust in that which is not, not true. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. Uh, we are in a period of time when there is a, a great uh, opportunity for learning, for instruction, for knowledge. Uh, there is just a wealth of resources available to us as a result of the internet and so many things uh, that you can read and read and read and read. And there is so much literature out there about the Bible so there are so many websites, and you can do studies, and you can do all kinds of things. But just let me tell you that there is tons of false teaching associated with that stuff. There is a lot of false doctrine. We live in a period of time in which doctrine is not prized. People don't seem to care about Truth in general, whether it's in politics or whether it's in government, wherever it is, people just don't seem to care about truth, and they don't really seem to care about truth when it comes to the scripture either. And so there are a lot of, of doctrines out there and conceptions about God. And one of them is that God loves everybody, and God is so loving that he would never send anyone to hell, that there is no such thing as a hell, uh, that the majority of evangelical Christians do not believe in a hell. That's mind-boggling to me. The majority of evangelical Christians do not believe in a hell. They're causing people to stumble. They're causing people to have false hope. They are blessing people that God is going to condemn. They are saying that people are acceptable that God is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. We're talking about very significant consequences here about being faithful to what God's word says. And believe me, the Bible speaks about hell, and it speaks about it quite often. 
Three, the priests had failed in their responsibilities to the covenant. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Conclusion. A, therefore, God has brought dishonor to the priests who had dishonored God. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. People had lost respect for the priests. And the reason that the people lost respect for the priests is indirectly, not knowingly, because the priests had lost respect for God. Notice Malachi 1.6 said, O priests who despise my name. Same word, Malachi 2.9, so I make you despised and abased before the people. They're going to despise your name. They are going to belittle you. You are going to be without respect. And we live in a, a time period where most people do not respect the clergy today. There was a time when... <clears throat> Pastors, preachers had respect. People uh, would look to them for guidance and direction uh, within the community. Uh, children would honor them. Um, there's an old story about how things have changed down through the years when it comes to the pastor. Uh, the story goes that there, there was a time when children would be out playing on a Sunday and the pastor would be walking by and they would see the pastor and they would get in line behind him and go to church. Then the time came when the pastor would be walking by and the children would be playing that they ran in the house. And after the pastor left, he, they would come out and play again. Then the time came when the pastor would be going to church and the children would start mocking him and making fun of him as he walked by. And then the time came when the pastor was going to church and the children were out playing, they picked up stones and threw them at him. Well, I don't know how true the progression is, but certainly there is a loss of respect. And quite frankly, it's because of the news. It's because of all the abuse in the Catholic Church. It's priests, it's, it's you know it, you know all the things that have happened with all the uh, financial uh, undertakings uh, all the adultery, all the stuff. Um, pastors don't have respect because they're not worthy of it. They're not worthy of it. And it starts with not honoring God's word in life and in preaching. And God says, I will dishonor you. And I will dishonor you before the people. The people will lose respect. B, the priests had sought to bring honor to themselves by catering to people of reputation, but that did not work. So I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. That can be taken two ways, and I think both of them are proper. The first is that they had a higher regard for people than they had for God. They were more concerned about what people thought than what God thought. They were more concerned about pleasing people than they were with pleasing God. 
Nothing changes in life. Second Timothy says, preach the word, be diligent in season, out of season, prove exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, so they heap to themselves preachers having itching ears. The people have certain things they want to hear, other things they don't want to hear. And there are preachers that will tell people what they want to hear and stay away from things that people don't want to hear. And one of those things today is doctrine. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear about election. They want to hear about this. They don't want to hear about that. And so they're silent about it. Uh, in some churches, it's those with money, those that make the boat float. Uh, they have a lot of sway as to what the preacher preaches and what he doesn't preach. So uh, this desire to uh, have prominence, this desire to be pleased, this desire to be accepting of people results in their abdicating the word of God. And then the second and closely related is this aspect of being partial in your instruction as opposed to being whole in your instruction. Paul says, I have preached unto you the whole counsel of God. Meaning that I didn't leave anything out. I wasn't selective. <clears throat> One of the reasons that I am so uh, adamant about expository preaching is it's the only way to assure that you have preached the whole counsel of God. To go through a book of the Bible verse by verse and explain what's there. Topically, you can, you can avoid a whole bunch of stuff. You don't ever have to address all kinds of issues when you preach topically. You just decide what you're going to preach on, and that's what you preach on that Sunday. And you decide what you're going to preach on the next Sunday, and you're going to, that's what you're going to preach on. And there are huge portions of Scripture that are just silent. And in many churches, that's the whole Old Testament. You know, there'd be a lot of churches that people would be scratching their head wondering why I'm preaching out of Malachi tonight. It's because of my understanding of the responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. That means every book of the Bible. And you go through it verse by verse so that people can hear what it says and be conformed to what the Word of God says, not being partial, not being selective, not choosing what are going to be the floweriest, the, 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 the best received, what is viewed as being the most helpful, the most culturally relevant, and while there can be good motives in all of those desires, the concern is that you're not preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God. We need to realize that in not every message is there going to be something that just strikes you, but there may be something that strikes someone else. There may be something that will be helpful to another person. Or you may hear something that doesn't seem particularly relevant, but down the line, three 
months, six months, two years from now, there is an event, an occurrence in your life, and all of a sudden, that becomes very relevant, that becomes very practical, becomes truthful. But you see, in all of this discussion, the aim is wrong. Because it's really not about us. It's about God. And it's not about what we like or what we think is going to be the most beneficial to us. It's what is most faithful to what God has said. And learning that what God has said is the most beneficial and useful to us. God's word is of more value than all earthly wisdom combined. It's of greater value than all of the social networking, all of the exegesis of culture, all of the trying to be relevant to the person who lives next door. There is nothing of greater value and significance than a clear understanding of the word of God. There is nothing more practical in life. If you know God's word, you know how to live. If you don't know God's word, you don't know how to live. God was upset with the priests because they had despised his name. They had belittled worship. It had become old hat to them. They were wearied by it. And because they dishonored God's word, they changed it. They did not honor it in their own life, and they did not honor it in their teaching. And so God was displeased. May God be pleased with us. Uh, may God be pleased with our church. And I would say, may God be pleased with me. And I would ask you to pray that I would be faithful to the word of God, that I would teach it honestly, forthrightly, not changing it, not altering it, but giving it forth as it says, and that by his grace I would live it. And I know in that I come vastly short. And so I pray and ask your prayers to be more consistent in how I live with what I say. Let's pray. Our Father, it's our desire to honor you in our worship. And we know that that is far more than just lip service. It is far more than just what we say. Although what we say is significantly important. For you cannot be honored if what we say about you is not true. Nor are you honored if we say that you are pleased with what you are not pleased with. And you are upset with what you are not upset with. Lord, we, we don't have the right to speak our opinions. We, we don't have the authority to speak of our experiences. We have been commissioned to deliver your message, your word. I pray, O oh God, that your word would go forth. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would bring me up short in those areas and times where I do not accurately present your truth nor live it in a way that I should. 
But Lord, may that be the heart's desire. May that be the aim. May that be the goal. And I pray for our people that the preaching and teaching of the word would turn people from iniquity. That it would help people to live godly lives. That people would be benefited from it. That they would be convicted. But not just convicted, but encouraged, strengthened, helped, instructed, taught. So that, Lord, our lives could be brought into a greater conformity with the word of God. Living more consistently with what your word teaches. That it would be a benefit, that it would be a help, it would be a joy. That it would create delight and desire in people's hearts to read it and to study it and to memorize it. And that people would see its value, its worth, that they would honor it, that they would cherish it, that they would view it as a priceless gold. Lord, uh, help us to truly venerate your word. May it be the focus and center point, point of our worship always. And uh, Lord, give us hearts that are submissive to your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.